Good morning, guys. I'm so excited. I love um, getting to do this. And I hope you guys were here last week because we're really building off of that. If you weren't here last week, once we get it on the podcast, you have to go listen to it because we started um, a little series about heaven and hell. All right. So last week, We talked about the ever so popular and loving idea of hell. Um, So we really tackled that idea. So if you didn't listen to it last, if you weren't here last week, you really need to go back and listen to it because this week we're talking about heaven. All right. And I am so excited because this is something that I have spent, I don't know, countless, countless hours studying over the last um, so many years, and it's just been so much fun for me, and I love getting to dig into scripture and learn new things, and I'm really excited to get to share that with you guys this morning, all right? So I have a lot to um, share with you. I probably have more scripture than I've ever had um, on just a Sunday morning. You're probably, I don't care how long you've gone to church, you're probably going to have more verses read to you this morning than you have ever had on a Sunday morning, right? So if you have your phone or your notes, try to maybe jot down some of the references because we're going to move quick, all right, just because we have a lot. So you might want to jot some stuff down. That way, later when you're like, whoa, that was crazy, you can go back and read it for yourself and read it in context because I'd love to read every verse in context with the full chapter, but we would be here until 8 o'clock at night. All right, so we're going to try to move a little bit quicker. So we're talking about heaven, about the idea of heaven, and I think it's probably one of the most misunderstood things in all of scripture. And I have a lot of different theories for why that is. I think part of it has to do with the fact that we take things that the Bible says about now, we take things that the Bible says about eternity, and we take things um, from the Catholic teaching and from mythology, and we put it all up in a jar and we shake it up, and then that's our theology of heaven, a lot of us, all right? So we're really going to just dive right into scripture, but before we do that, we're going to start like we did last week. I want to take a second and ask you to think, what comes to mind when I say the word heaven? All right, so let's pause. I want you to picture it in your head. Who goes there? When do you go? What does it look like? I want you to picture all of that in your head, okay? All right, now I want you to think about all the scripture that you read that led you to that understanding. Okay, so first, um, there's just so many ideas because the scripture talks about heaven in so many different forms. We're gonna try to hit on all of them, but first, I just wanna talk about the idea of a first, second, and third heaven, all right? Now, I know many of us might be familiar with this topic, and many of us might not be, okay? So where the idea comes from is the Apostle Paul illustrates that um, in a vision, whether he was out of a body or in his body, whether it was a vision or a dream or a prophecy, he knows not, but he was taken up to the third heaven. So because of that verse, many teachers and scholars and um, Bible connoisseurs, they have, through the process of elimination, they have used scripture to illustrate and find out what scripture says about the first and second heaven, even though scripture doesn't 
technically call first heaven and second heaven. It illustrates a third heaven, and through the process of elimination, we're able to see what the first and second is. Now, this is kind of a commonly understood idea, so because I already have so much scripture and because I don't want to talk too long, I just found a quick video on YouTube that's only four minutes long that if you're super green to the idea of a first, second, third heaven, I figured I'd show you the YouTube video, and then we can move right along so they can quote 30 verses at you, and I don't have to add that to my collection already. All right, so here we go. Let's watch the video, and then we'll get going. Now, the very first verse of the Bible tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens. The Hebrew word for heavens is plural, indicating more than one. The first realm called heaven in the Bible is one we can see easily with our own two eyes. We find in Genesis 1, verses 6 through 8, that during the creation week, God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven. The first heaven is simply the sky above us. It is the expanse above the land and oceans that makes up Earth's atmosphere. The first heaven includes the air we breathe. It is the space in which we live and travel. If you've been on a plane, you can say you've been to heaven. It's where the wind blows and the birds fly. In Genesis 1, verse 20, God said, Let the birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. And it's the place where clouds form and weather occurs. As Isaiah 55, verse 10 says, The rain comes down and the snow from heaven. And Deuteronomy 11, verse 11 says, The land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven. So the first heaven described in the Bible is the expanse above us making up earth's atmosphere. The second heaven is also one we can see and observe, but only a few men and women have ever been there. In Genesis 1 verse 14, God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. The second heaven refers to outer space, where the sun, moon, stars, and planets are. God told Abraham, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And God warned his people to take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them. Jesus even tells us of a time when stars will fall from heaven. So the second realm called heaven in the Bible is outer space. It is the expanse of the universe, the celestial realm where the sun, moon, stars, planets, and galaxies exist. Now there is also a third heaven mentioned in the Bible. Several scriptures speak of a spiritual realm beyond that which is visible. It can be called the heaven of heavens or the third heaven. Deuteronomy 10 verse 14 tells us, Indeed heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God. When King Solomon prayed before the people in Jerusalem, he said, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. And the Apostle Paul, speaking of a special revelation given to him, wrote, I know a man in Christ who was caught up to the third heaven. It is the heaven of heavens, or third heaven, where God's throne is. Psalm 103 verse 19 says, The Lord has established his throne in heaven. It's where God dwells. Psalm 115 verse 3 plainly says, Our God is in heaven. And Job asked, Is not God in the height of heaven? So there is a spiritual realm outside of the physical world which we cannot see, and it is where God the Father and Jesus Christ are. Jesus often taught about his Father in heaven, and the Bible explains that he is now also sitting with him on his throne. 
For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself. The book of Hebrews also tells us Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. It is the same heavenly realm that Jesus came from and where no one else has ever been. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3:13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. That is the son of man. So right now, only spirit beings dwell in the third heaven, which include God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the angels. Simply put, the third heaven is the spiritual realm where God is, but we can't see it, and no man has been there except Jesus Christ. So the Bible shows there are three heavens, Earth's atmosphere, outer space, and the spiritual dimension where God and Jesus Christ dwell. All right, so there we go. Like I said, maybe many of us are very familiar with that, but it's so important to lay the foundation because if not, you could be reading scripture and think it's talking about the highest heavens when in reality it's talking about the sky. (laughs) And it could cause a lot of um, misinformation and misinterpretation. And there's actually many um, more thought-for-thought verses like NLT and stuff like that that will actually translate it literally to sky or it literally to space because it knows what it's trying to illustrate and what it's talking about even though it uses the word heaven. All right, so there's three different forms of heaven and when we have to, when we try to interpret scripture and have a good understanding of what the Bible is trying to teach us, we need to know what form of heaven it's actually talking about. So not only are there three different realms or locations, but like I talked about that Dr. Mackey explains, it's also to describe his dominion and reign that can incorporate into earth, that heaven will come down into earth. Can you turn the lights back up, Hunter? All right, so they're not working? Nothing's working, guys. Here we are. You talk about heaven and it gets dark, apparently. The skies will darken and the moon will turn blood red. (laughs) It's here among us. That's a Bible joke. All right. Yeah, it was, it was really funny. I thought it was. All right, so, so this is the idea, is that scripture uses different forms of heaven and we can't pull them all into one idea and simplify it when it's not meant to be interpreted like that. All right, and what I see a lot of times is people take the promise of the resurrection, the promise of the last day and what the new heavens and the new earth will be like, and we bring that into our current situation and we go, oh, that's heaven. All right, and there's this um, very uh, popular popular teaching that, um, that says when you die, you go, you go, you're disembodied from your soul. So, so your body dies, you're disembodied from your soul, you go directly, um, directly to heaven, and then that is, that's where you stay is in, in the third heaven. And I want us, to, um, maybe many of us were taught that, maybe some of us weren't, but I want us to look at scripture, not listen to my opinion, because you guys have heard me say a million times, I don't want you just to believe what I believe, but I want to look at scripture and try to decide what does scripture teach? 
John chapter three, which is the, one of the most popular chapters in the entire Bible because of verse 16, we get to hear about Jesus having an interaction with Nicodemus and he says, I am the only one that gets to, he's talking about, I'm paraphrasing, but he's illustrating how he's the only one that knows what's going on in heaven because he is a witness of what has gone in heaven because verse 13 says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, I know that might sound like a bold claim to a few of you if you haven't um, grown up on this teaching, but I'm just gonna ask you, let's look at scripture for a minute and ask ourselves, what is the Bible teaching? Is it teaching an idea of a disembodied soul where your soul comes out, you immediately go to heaven or to hell, or is it teaching something called the resurrection, all right? So I'm gonna go through, I'm gonna try to explain both. I'm gonna try not to just get you to agree with me. I'm not gonna use any gotchas. I'm literally just gonna try to read a whole bunch of scripture, all right? So we're gonna start in the oldest literature in the entire Bible. You guys know what that is? Yeah, of course. All right, so here we go. Job chapter 14, verse 12. He says, so as man lies down and rises not again, Till the heavens are no more, he will not awake or be aroused out of his sleep. Now, Acts chapter two, um, that's where we're gonna jump to next. Peter is, is preaching to the crowd, and what he does is he quotes the patriarch David, King David. You guys should be very familiar with him, right? All right, so in Acts chapter two, verse 27, he quotes King David, and this is what King David said. This is verse 27. He says, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave. Now, verse 29, Peter speaks up. Again, he's preaching to a crowd. He goes, dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried and is in a tomb still here among us. Now, this is interesting because in verse 27, the quote says, you will not leave my soul among the dead. It's actually the Greek word is sheol. You will not leave my soul among the dead or allow me to rot in the grave. And if you notice, Peter says this couldn't be about Jesus or this couldn't be about David because David's still in the grave. And the reason being is because it was a crazy idea to teach a disembodied soul. And he goes, you can be sure it was not talking about David because he is still in the grave among us. In verse 34, he says, for David himself never ascended into heaven. Yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand, okay? It's a prophecy about the man who was to come. And that's what Peter is preaching. You can be sure, I can assure you, that the patriarch David was not referring to himself. Now, a lot of people say that when Jesus raised from the dead, that he brought with him everyone who had died prior and took them to heaven. Well, this teaching is after the resurrection of Jesus, okay? And the patriarch David is still in the ground among us. You can be sure that he has not ascended to heaven. 
Now let's continue. John 5, 28 says, don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Now again, the disembodied soul teaching would say, well, what that's speaking about is the last day in their bodies. Now this is, um, in my opinion, a real contradiction in teaching because the scripture teaches that our old body, as Paul talks about it, as a tent, our old body will pass away and we will be given a new body because our old body was made in the vision of Adam and our new body will be made in the vision of Jesus Christ, right? So what would be raising from the dead if our souls are already in heaven? And you might ask, well, when is this happening? Maybe that already has happened. Well, Paul answers that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. He says, but there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, and all who belong to Christ will be raised when? when he comes back. After that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God, having destroyed every ruler, authority, and power. When will this happen? At the end, when he returns. All right, Daniel was prophesying this many, many, many thousands of years before this. He said in Daniel 12, chapter two, and many of those who, as- who are asleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, I know some of you guys might be um, hearing this and going, well, what about this. What about that? And I'm actually going to get to all of the what about verses, or I'm going to try to get to all of the what about teachings. Um, you know, Elijah, the, you know, on the mount, we're going to talk about, you know, absent from the body. We're going to talk about all of that stuff, but I just want to continue with some more scripture before I address the arguments. Okay. All right. So let's, let's continue. All right. Now we're going to read out of John 11. All right, so this is when Jesus went to see Lazarus after he had already died. All right, and remember, Mary and Martha had already been being taught by Jesus. Okay, so Jesus comes up, verse 21, chapter 11. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, Martha. Look at what Martha says. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She doesn't say, well, I know he's disembodied, you know, bodiless, without a mouth, without an ears, as Solomon says, the dead can neither, you know, have any idea of time. She doesn't say, I know he's in heaven with the Father. She goes, no, I know there's a great hope in the good news that one day all the dead will rise again. She goes, yeah, I know that's what's gonna happen because that was the teaching that Jesus was teaching. (laughs) All right, 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, I hope you guys are jotting them down. I literally had to cut like 15 verses because I just couldn't fit them all in here. All right, there is a lot of scripture for this. 
And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. All right, again, after the resurrection, this is the letter to Thessalonica. We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. For the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope because you have a hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We will tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died because a lot of people were thinking that um, whoever was still on the earth would experience, um, it gets into eschatology a lot, so I'm not gonna hit on it. So let's actually just continue. (laughs) And he says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with a trumpet call from God first, The believers who have died will rise from where? Their graves. They will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive, so again, with the shout of the archangel, the dead will rise. Then we who are still alive will be caught up with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. That is the hope that we get to have is that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns that he will call forth the dead in their graves and they shall meet him in the sky and we shall meet them and be with our Lord forever. I haven't quite found a scripture that says anything about a disembodied soul. All right, I've seen a parable before, but nothing, no scripture, all right? So let's move on. And now we're gonna talk about Hebrews 11, all right? This is known as the faith chapter. I'm sure many of you guys are very familiar with it. And what it does is it talks about all of these people that had great faith, all right? So it lists Abel, and it says, by faith, Abel did this. By faith, Sarah did this, get this. By faith, Enoch did this. By faith, Noah did this. And watch what it says after it lists those people in verse 13. Are you ready? These all died. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They have not yet received the promise. In verse 39, if you scroll down in that chapter, or I guess with your finger if you have a real book, and all these, again, listing all of those great people in the faith, and all these, though commended by their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect because the time of perfection has not yet come. Apart from us, they will not receive it because the dead will rise and then we will meet them in the clouds. All right, we will be caught up with them. That word caught up is where we get um, our word rapture. Rapture is actually a Latin word. It's not technically in scripture, but I let it fly because it's the Latin translation of caught up. So 
I let that fly, right? So maybe you're asking yourself, well, Corey, that's a lot of scripture. When did people start teaching something about disembodied souls? Well, when that happened was right around the fifth century when the Catholic Church really started to dominate Christianity. Dominate sounds like a bad word, but I'll still use it. Dominate Christianity as a whole, all right? And what they started teaching was something called purgatory. And purgatory was this place that when you died, what they said is that your soul was disembodied and it had to be immediate for this teaching. And they would go to this place called purgatory and you could pay penance in order to get them out. And Martin Luther's 95 Thesis, you guys might be familiar with that, right? If you actually read it, the whole emphasis of the 95 Thesis is on the resurrection and how purgatory and immortal souls and all this stuff is contrary to scripture. All right, that's what the whole emphasis of the 95 Thesis was all about. And he even quotes some of um, the Catholic priests and what they're saying is they used to tell people as soon as the coin hits the bucket, a soul will fly out of purgatory. So that was their way in order to, um, again, I, I feel like I'm downing them, but I'm really just telling you history. That was the way that they raised so much money, that they accumulated so much wealth, is they told people, if you pay, then your loved ones will go to heaven. And this is where we got this idea of a disembodied soul. Because in order to teach purgatory, it had to happen immediately. And this was their teaching, all right? So this is one of the main emphasis that Martin Luther had. That's why he nailed part of the reason the resurrection was the main point of why he nailed the 95 thesis to the door, all right? This isn't um, you know, some crazy teaching. This is something that scholars have backed up the idea of the resurrection is something that scholars have backed up forever. All right, let me read you a quote from Martin Luther, all right? Again, not just Corey's opinion. This is Martin Luther. For just as one who falls asleep and reaches morning unexpectedly when he awakes, without knowing what has happened to him, we shall suddenly rise on the last day without knowing how, he, how we have come into death and through death. We shall sleep until he comes and knocks on the little grave and says, Dr. Martin, get up. Then I shall rise in a moment and be with him forever. This is such good news, such a beautiful hope that as Martin Luther describes it, and it comes from um, his word on Ecclesiastes, and you guys can read that for yourself, but as he describes it, in a moment, Death is like falling asleep, not knowing how you got there, but in a moment, awaking to the resurrection, awaking to something beautiful. I believe that this is what scripture teaches, and in my opinion, I honestly don't see the debate. I really, I, I don't when I look at scripture. I hear the debate when I hear people reason, and believe me, I've listened to countless hours of it, but I don't see the debate when I solely look at scripture. All right, and maybe you're thinking, well, that's just Martin Luther's um, interpretation. No, not really. You ever heard of a guy named William Tyndale? <laughs> yeah, we should be really familiar with that, with that name, right? He was the first man to translate the Bible into the English language, all right? 
He was a Bible scholar who became a leader, leading figure in the Protestant Reformation, and he was a great advocate for the teaching of the resurrection, and he was greatly against the idea of a disembodied soul. All right, maybe you've heard of someone named John Wincliffe. Wincliffe. He is widely considered one of the medieval forerunners of the Protestant Reformation. He was a theologian, biblical translator, and reformer. And again, he, he lined up with Martin Luther's teachings. He was a couple hundred years before them. But if you're getting my point here, and there's many others like George Wishart and Thomas Bilney, I don't know if you guys are familiar with them. The point is that teaching of a disembodied soul didn't become popular until around the fifth century. And what many Protestants have done today is they've rejected the idea of purgatory and they've kept the rest of the Catholic teachings on life after death. And that was totally against what all of the forerunners of the Protestant Reformation were teaching. All right, now I'm gonna read you another quote from John Martyr, all right? And the reason why this quote is so important, get this, he was born in A.D. 100. All right, that is very, 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 very early in Christianity. All right, if you're not familiar with John Martyr, he is known to be one of the most important Greek philosophers and apologists in the early Christian church. All right, so this quote comes from a debate that he was having with a popular teacher in the area that started gaining some popularity. So this was a debate, debate he was having with this teacher, all right? So let's read it. This is from John Martyr. He said, For I chose to follow not men or men's doctrines, but God and the doctrines delivered by him. For if you have fallen in with some who are called Christians, but who do not admit this truth and venture to blaspheme the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who say there is no resurrection of the dead, and that their souls, when they die, are taken to heaven, do not imagine that they are Christians." But I and others who are right-minded Christians on all points are assured that there will be a resurrection of the dead. Now, if that sounds really harsh, let me explain what it's actually saying, okay? His emphasis is on the resurrection of the dead. All right, this is the same debate that Jesus had with the Sadducees when they were saying there was no resurrection. This is the same debate that Paul was saying, if there is no resurrection, your faith is futile and you are to be, um, what's the word? No one? All right. You're you pitied. That's the word. You are to be pitied more than anyone else. All right. Clay, come on. I was counting on you. I thought you were with me there. You are to be pitied more than anyone else. So the emphasis of this quote is on the resurrection. That's why it says, imagine that they are not Christians, because it's referring to the resurrection. But notice, still he puts great emphasis on who say that their souls, when they die, are taken to heaven because it's such an out there teaching in that time and day, as John Martyr said, all right-minded Christians will agree on this point. This was in AD 100. And around the fifth century, a lot of that started to change. So I think part of the reason, and again, I had to cut out a lot of scripture, guys. I have more if you thought that was a lot. Part of the reason why I think we have a misunderstanding of heaven and of the afterlife is because we believe something that I don't think scripture teaches. We've taken the new heaven and new earth and in order to make us feel better, in order to grieve better, we brought that into our reality and say, oh, they're just in heaven. 
But the great news of the gospel is, oh, it's but like a second for them, and then there they will be on the last day in the resurrection. That is the great news. That is the news of the resurrection. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. And I think we truly steal from that because what is the point of the resurrection if all of the souls are already in heaven and on the day, on the last day, he creates us new bodies? What is the point of the resurrection? The whole point is that the dead will rise first out of their graves. All right, now I'm actually making fairly good time even with the screw up with the video, okay? I can barely talk, I need some more water, but that's okay. All right, so now I'm gonna um, tackle some, because there's still some other things I wanna talk about with heaven, but I wanna tackle some of the what about verses. All right, so maybe some of you guys are going, what about this? All right, so first we're going to tackle the what about absent from the body, maybe you've heard it quoted like this, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You guys heard it quoted like that? All right, sweet. You guys ready to read the verse? All right, let's do it. Here we go. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Oh, my, my iPad did the thing again, Kayla. All right, here we go. <laughs> yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, Again, ESV is a word-for-word -word translation, not a thought-for-thought, -thought, but let's go ahead and read the New King James so we can hear a little bit of that um, you know, wording that we've heard so many times before, all right? So same verse, New King James. We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. I don't know about you, but I think this is the most misquoted verse in the entire Bible because it does not say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, not in any translation, all right? And all the newer word-for-word -word translations, it doesn't even sound like this, like an ESV that I just read for you. All right, so in chapter five, again, go home, read it for yourself. He's talking about the gloriousness of when our old body will pass away and when we'll be given a new body, right? Because like Martin Luther described through his interpretation of scripture, it's but like a moment. And as Paul's describing, oh, how it would be to pass away for your, for your old body to go then to be with the Lord because it's but like a moment. You die and then you wake up on the day of the resurrection. You'll hear the mighty call of the archangel and the dead will rise first in their graves. And it's just not what scripture says. I have no problem with this verse. I feel like this verse fits perfectly into my theology. I don't see it as a, as a problem. I don't see it as a debate. I'll take it, Claire. I thought you were gonna drink it. I was like, that's not cool. All right, let's go and tackle the next one, okay? I've got time for a few more. I don't think I'll be able to get to all the what ifs mostly or what abouts because I don't know what you're thinking in your head. <laughs> I just tried to think of a few popular ones and then if you have some more, we can talk about them at small groups. But I feel like they're relatively easy to answer, right? So we're gonna talk about Elijah, all right? I'm sure you guys are very familiar with the story of Elijah. I'm gonna paraphrase a whole lot. So feel free to go read it for yourself and make sure that what I'm quoting is actually accurate. 
All right, so if you're familiar with the story of Elijah, he was caught up in a whirlwind in a chariot, and the Bible says he was taken to heaven, all right? So an interesting thing, when the story starts out, Elijah says to Elisha, I have been sent to Bethel. Stay here. All right, so they go to Bethel, and they, they come in contact with all these prophets. But the interesting thing is the prophets have already received revelation of what was going to happen to Elijah. They told Elisha, don't you know that your master is going to be taken away from you today? All right, so he goes to the next place. He tells, Elijah tells Elisha, stay here for I have been sent. So they get to the next place and the same thing occurs with the prophets. They have already received revelation. All right. So fast forward, eventually here they are, Elijah and Elisha walking in a chariot, runs through the middle of them and he starts to be taken up into heaven. But if you remember, scripture says, no man except the son of man has ascended into the heights of heaven because what it's referring to is the first heaven, which is the sky. He was taken up into the sky and moved and transported. That's why the other prophets, they weren't idiots. They had great revelation of what God was doing. And they told Elisha, do you want us to go and look for him? Because everyone knew that the Lord was taking him away because Elijah said, I have been sent. (laughs) They knew he was being taken away somewhere else. That's why the other prophets said, would you like me to go check on the mountains? And Elisha's like, you're not going to find him. He's been sent far away. He doesn't say that again. I'm just adding what I think the scripture is teaching, okay? Maybe you're thinking, well, Corey, that's kind of a stretch. Well, it's really not because guess what? 10 years after the chariot ride, Elijah writes a prophecy. All right, so 10 years after the chariot ride, we get to read 2 Chronicles 21.12. And it says, and a letter came to him from Elijah the prophet. This is 10 years after the chariot ride. If you'd like to fact check me, feel free. All right, the way that we know it's at least 10 years is because the king that he's writing to did not become king until at least 10 years after Elijah's chariot ride. He was taken up into the first heaven. Where he went, we know not. All right? (laughs) I just thought that was interesting. How many of you guys do that? Or maybe you're like, I disagree with you, that's fine, but I got, I've got a verse. <laughs> I've got a verse. All right, anyway, oh, the other super popular one, I skipped over it, thief on the cross, right? Everyone thinks about that verse. All right, so let's go ahead and um, read the verse, Luke 23, 43. And again, I know I'm not spending super long on each one. I just want to get to a few of them. I could give you, you know, more hard evidence for each point. All right, so Luke 23, 43. And he said to him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. All right, now one thing to note, I'm not arguing this, I'm just going to show you where a large debate takes place. In the original Greek, there is no commas. Okay, so I've listened to a lot of textural critics debate this, and many of them will debate that it could be written, and he said to him, truly I say to you today, comma, you will be with me in paradise. Now, I don't necessarily have an opinion on this verse because I don't speak Greek, so I listen to one textural critic, and I'm like, wow, that's really convincing. Then I listen to the next one, I'm like, okay, you're right. 
but at the end of the day, I don't speak Greek. <laughs> so it's like, in my opinion, I'm just standing on their shoulders, right? But I wanna point out a few things. One, the word paradise is not used to describe heaven anywhere else in scripture. It's actually an interesting word study. It actually has to do with the garden. and has to do with the tree of life, all right? It's never used to describe um, heaven other than this verse, and I could really say that paradise is a crater on the moon, just like you could say paradise is heaven. Neither one of them has scripture to back that up. All right, but this is the other interesting point. The debate about the comma aside, let's go ahead and move to John 20, verse 17, okay? Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Jesus died for three days. And after those three days, when he resurrected, he said, I have not yet ascended to the Father. He had not yet gone up to heaven. So if the thief was with him today, if the comma's in the right place, guess what? <laughs> okay, moving on to the next point. All right, Mount of Transfiguration. Okay, this is one that a lot of people bring up because they're like, oh, Moses, Elijah. And guys, this is a beautiful story. Do you know why Moses and Elijah showed up? Is because Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets. The beautiful illustration of the story is both the law and the prophets agree that Jesus is the Messiah. It's such a beautiful illustration and so many people say, look, Look, they have to be in heaven because there we saw them on the Mount of Transfiguration. Well, guess what? When they walked away from the Mount, again, read it in context. But I'm just gonna pull out a snippet. It's Matthew 17, verse nine. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one of the vision. Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Well, guess what? It was a vision. It was not an actual account of what happened. All right, we read about Peter having a sheet full of animals. I haven't heard anyone actually say that there was a legitimate sheet full of dead animals all over it. It was a vision of something that he was seeing. Jesus Messiah said, tell them not yet the vision that you have seen. All right, so there's, there's a few more you might get into. I'm running out of time, so I'm not gonna answer any more whatabouts. But if you have any more small groups, maybe about the souls and the um, throne and revelation and all that stuff, we can talk about all of those answers. But I hope that I've given you a good case to show that I think scripture is clear on the topic. I think theology has been clear on the topic. And I think we've taken this Catholic view of life after death and brought it into our theology. Now again, if you disagree with me, that's fine. You don't have to agree with me to come to this church. We have disagreements all the time. All it's gonna do is lead us more into scripture, right? But I wanna answer a few more questions about heaven because we get these a lot and sometimes they sound a little bit silly, okay? So this is the first one that we get all the time. Will we recognize our family? You guys have probably heard that question, right? Will we know each other in heaven? Well. I just wanna bring this up. Do you know that the Bible talks about us being rewarded by the way that we live? It's not everyone is going to receive the same reward. We'll all receive the promise of the resurrection, but we won't all receive the same reward. Well, it's, you know, the Bible illustrates it as crown or jewels in our crowns. If you have no memory of this life, can you imagine being raised from the dead and being like, 
who are you? God, who, like, are you a God? Or, and he's like handing you a crown and you're like, what's this for? <laughs> I, like, I have, why does that guy have a bigger crown? Why do I have a smaller crown? Like you're about to judge me? Judge me on what? <laughs> what is this judgment about? <laughs> It's funny because it's absolutely in conflict of all of scripture. I want you to think just for a second about the Sermon of the Mount. Think about you know, the fruits of the Spirit. Everything points towards relationship. Think about the emphasis that God puts on us raising our children, on the way that we care for our mother and father, on the way that we care for our spouse, on the way that we interact with friends. Scripture even says if you're offering a gift to God and you have something against your brother, leave the gift at the altar and go fix that first. There's such great emphasis on relationship, the idea of God just tearing that apart in the new heavens and the new earth, in my opinion, is ridiculous. It's Corey's opinion, all right? The other one that we hear a lot is, what will we do? Are we all just gonna stand there, you know, kumbaya, God is good, you know, like I like to worship, but all day, every day, that sounds a little boring, you know? And we've got to remember, what is worship actually? Yes, it's lifting our hands on a song, but it's actually the way that we live. And if we want to see an illustration of what it's like for heaven and earth to completely meet, look at the garden story. Look at the way that Adam lived. Look at the way that he, he did life with God. It wasn't just sitting around singing a worship song, but it was having dominion over what was given. On the last day, new heavens and new earth will be created and heaven and earth will collide again and we will live the way that we were always meant to live, like this. I don't mean to um, you know, take away the the sentiment of, oh, my loved ones are, are watching me, but I don't want you to lose the importance of what the gospel actually teaches. I don't think your loved ones are watching you. I don't think scripture teaches that. I think the great news is one day you will see them again. For them, it will be like a moment. As we fall into sleep and we know not how we got to the morning, that will be like those that go through death. They will fall asleep and though like a second, they will rise on the last day. And we will get to be with them and reign with them on the new heavens and the new earth. Isn't that beautiful? I think it is. All right. I think that's all I got. Like I said, I could do more on um, whatabouts. I have a few, but it's already 12, and I'm going to just talk about it small groups if you have any. So thank you guys for coming. Sorry about the video. I, it hurt me more than it hurt you, I'm sure. And I'm going to scream afterwards. That's okay. But thank you guys for coming. Again, we're doing um, small groups at Lindsay. We had talked about 5-5 five, five at the meeting. Do you want to do it at 530 5.30, okay, we're gonna do it at 5.30 this week, then after that, it's actually gonna move to five o'clock, all right? So 5.30 at small groups, because y'all got kids and you gotta put them to bed. So come to small groups, hang out, talk, fellowship, get to know each other. It's at Lindsay and Gary's house. They have an amazing house. You should come hang out with them. All right, and then I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna go eat, all right? So God, thank you for your word and the honor to get to read it and study it. God, you are good.
You are holy and you're worthy. I just ask that you'll reveal more revelation to us. That we'll find you more, that we'll hear your voice this week. That we will get to experience more pockets of heaven on this earth. That we will be your temple, God, that you'll help us get to have an experience where heaven collides with earth just a little bit more. In your name, amen.